So we can we can really just blame this on Wisconsin. Yes. All right, I can toast that. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. Dear listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and this is my co-host... Wendy. And we are here to discuss movies. Movies. And drink. <laughs> we have been drinking. This is an even-numbered episode. We have already finished a bottle of wine. We, well, mostly. Um, mostly. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, we, we, are, we are on the last sips of the bottle in our glasses. Yes, and we are, we are drinking that cranberry wine that Wendy picked up at a gas station in Wisconsin. <laughs> That's right. In the middle of the dead zone. I mean, let's really, let's really sell the quality here. In Toma. Toma. Not tumor. But Toma. It's not the Toma. Yeah, I feel like it might be a Toma. Ah. <laughs> so, Melissa. Yes. What are we going to talk about? This is part two of a series that um, you had recorded earlier tonight. But, dear listeners, you have heard this episode like five weeks ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wendy's episode about underdog sports movies was the first in a series of two of... Episodes about genres that we unexpectedly like. Like, yes. nothing else about our personalities really indicate that we should love these genres. And yet, here we are. And yet. So, Wendy loves underdog sports movies. I love car movies. <laughs> Not just car movies, specifically where you crash a shitload of cars. Crash them ups. Crash them ups. Uh, crashing cars, speeding cars, car chases. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You've got a strong gearhead thing. I, I do. Well, I'm not one of those gearheads where I can usually look at a model of car from afar and without seeing the logo, I go, that's a 1963 blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm not to that level of gearhead and I'm certain I'm not to the level of gearhead where I can, you know, open up the hood of the car and fix anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> though that would be a nice, nice, wouldn't uh, it be talent. nice? Um, and, but you know, the only reason I don't have those talents is because I have a lot of other hobbies and have not dedicated my time. If, if I had fewer other hobbies, I would be totally a gearhead. I'd be fixing cars. I would be a total car nerd. I go to car shows and I photograph cars. I love photographing cars. I, you know, I like classic cars, but <laughs> but specifically movies where I get to see that shit blow up. Oh, yeah. So, like, Fury Road was Fury just... Fury Road was, like, porn to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, bring it. Bring it. Oh, there are gestures, dear listeners. There are gestures, and you might not want to know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa's getting excited. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Fury Road is currently in my sweet spot. <laughs> oh, let's be honest. That's in a lot of people's sweet mm, spot. Mm, um, mm. There's so much about that that delivers yeah. in so many ways. And oh. so many cars blow up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, they're, and they're interesting cars, too. They're oh, tripped out. Oh, my God. Just... The design of the cars is so great. Oh, God. I, I, I adore the Mad Max series. And I know in previous episodes, I have expounded on how much I love Road Warrior. And a lot of people are saying Fury Road for them is the best in the series. You know, I... I still don't know if it surpasses Road Warrior for me. There's a there's actually plot in Road Warrior, <laughs> or at least there's a little bit more plot than there is in Fury Road. But Fury Road, you know, to be fair, is one movie that is completely car chase with maybe little tiny nuggets of plot strewn along there, and I can appreciate there that is too. a lot of plot in Fury Road, but is yeah. implied. Oh yes, it, and it's very subtly relayed, and it, you know. 
it is a testament to how talented George Miller is as a storyteller. Oh, yeah. It is a masterwork of storytelling. So, so yes. Melissa, so, yes. what started you on this love of car oh, movies? goodness. I don't know. I mean... Car chases, crash Car chases, crash ups I mean, with cars, I can kind of see where the thread came from because um, my paternal grandmother, oddly enough, was into cars. Huh. She was this little dainty woman. I never, I don't think I ever saw her wear a pair of pants in my life. She was always in frilly little dresses, but she always had these awesome old sixties, like <laughs> not muscle cars, but you know, they, well, yes, there were a couple muscle cars in there. <laughs> But and she they, drove them like land tanks, yeah. And and she'd drive them around. And she didn't know how to pump her own gas. Like she knew where all the full service stations were around town. Oh, but that's adorable. Yeah, but but she had like land tanks. And actually, my dad still has one of them. It's a 1972 Bolt Tail Riviera, and it's it's a glorious thing. <laughs> <laughs> like the the engine is something like 365 horsepower and oh my god. It's 21 feet long, seven and a half feet wide. It is a land yacht. It well, it's yeah, beautiful. <laughs> you describe the hood in terms of acreage. Yeah, it's ginormous. That's the kind of car you take to the drive-in and you put the blanket on the hood and you can just stretch out. Yeah. You know, the last time I drove the thing, I was dating a guy who was like six foot two and he could lay down flat in the back seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a giant car. Oh, those bench yeah. seats where you just had to crawl. Oh, you could make out in those cars mm-hmm. in a way you just can't anymore. Yeah. And and unfortunately, that car isn't in the greatest condition right now. It needs like all the hoses replaced and stuff. If I had an entire summer with nothing to do, I would learn how... <laughs> to take that car apart and put it back together again just to restore it <laughs> but i don't have an entire summer to do stuff like that because i have other hobbies so we so choose we, we choose yeah we yeah. choose so i have this fascination with the giant old muscle cars of the 70s but i i think probably for seeing cars crash it may have been blues brothers <gasps> that is a gr- epic yeah. Oh, yeah oh yes because really there there are Many, many dozens of cars crashing in that movie. That is a, just unapologetically. It's a glorious car chase movie. It mm-hmm. isn't one long car chase. Mm-hmm. Once it starts. Once it starts. And and so many police cars just going into a ditch, flying off of ramps, turning over, parts flying off. And of course, the one little red car full of Nazis flying high above the skyline of Chicago and then dropping from a great height. Yeah, that may have been my origin story for this. Yes. I feel like people might not have seen the Blues Brothers. Like it's getting lost in time. It's not quite as iconic as some others. Yeah, that that's possible because we're kind of, you know, people are forgetting that Saturday Night Live, Once Upon a Time, was good. Um, oh, God, and the original <laughs> cast. Time. Yeah, the original cast was an amazing thing. And, and this is John Belushi, bless him. And Dan and, Aykroyd, and Dan your, Aykroyd, your favorite. Dan Aykroyd in a in a nice black suit and a tie. Oh, oh yeah, singing and dancing. And oh. they were actually very talented blues musicians. Yeah, and their their cast, the band, is actual blues musicians, and a the, lot of them from the Saturday Night Live band. They were yeah. actually ta- they like were fantastic musicians, like talented, well known, well regarded, and. Yeah, and so they're like, you know what we could do? We could make a comedy musical about doing a blues band. That'd mm-hmm. be hilarious because the Blues Brothers occasionally were a bit that they would do on Saturday Night Live, but mm-hmm. they, the bit was that they would come out and sing like legit. Right. My mom was actually at one... Okay, so my mom was at Universal Amphitheater in the early 80s at some point, and uh, she was with one of her friends there, and... Um, they had a marquee there that said Blues Brothers tonight. And they went, oh, it can't be. No, it can't be. Want to go? Yeah, let's go. You go. And it's 
Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi in the Blues Brothers Band. Oh, my God. Performing live, recording briefcase full of blues. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. So, so my mother has a strange superpower like me to just stumble into situations like that. Ah, oh, so yeah, that was probably the start of it. But you know, there there were so many growing up in the through the eighties, there were so many ways to enjoy cars crashing because oh. you know that was a sweet spot for Hal Needham. Yeah, because you had you know Smokey and the Bandit and, and Smokey and the Bandit so and, many and cars the Cannonball crashes. Run, which oh I my adored. God. Yes, and you know Mega Force. <laughs> <laughs> Which I uh, have dear, dear love for Megaforce. And, you know, just recently at Buttonumathon, we've already talked about this in our previous Buttonumathon episode. Hooper. Hooper. Hooper, oh, which is so good. Which is a movie constructed around stuntmen, and therefore there are car stunts galore. So many. Uh, it just so, it, it pretty much, that whole little clatch of late 70s, early 80s films from that team of people are just glorious. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're super charming and entertaining, and, and, and often dumb boom. as a box of rocks, but boom. so glorious. Oh, Smoking the Bandit was—I've got to rewatch that. I I hope if I rewatch it, it does not. It doesn't suck. Well, or it doesn't make me unhappy. <laughs> like I don't—I don't need to go back and find out it was actually creepy, or rapey, mm-hmm. or you know, upsetting in some way. I would be okay with it sucking. I just hope it's not like creepy. It it doesn't go all 1941 on you. It's like, oh, that's ravey. Yeah. Mm. I don't think it does, though, as I think yeah. about it. And so it's got Chucky Gleason in it. Yeah. Oh, oh and yeah. Sally Field being adorable. <laughs> and Burt Reynolds oh, being so hairy. <laughs> so hairy. That was a hairy man. Uh, Back when being hairy was allowed. Yeah. Nobody gets yeah. to be hairy anymore. It's we need more hairy men. I know. I more would like some hairy. diversity of her suitness yes. in my men. I agree. Like I, I have no problem with a with a bear man, but could we also have a bear? Like B E A R man. Like mm-hmm. you could do both B- homonyms. B A R E versus B E A R. This is what we're doing. Yeah, okay. I'd like okay, I'd that. like All both right. ends of the homonym spectrum. There. <laughs> So what else? Well, let's see. You know, it. You know, before really getting into the '80s, we can back up a little bit because there were a couple of really nice hot spots in the '60s. Oh yeah. You know, you've got Bullet, yeah, which is fantastic. You know, I've seen Bullet like eight times, and I can't, still can't tell you what the plot is, but that car chase is glorious. <laughs> um, and it's Steve McQueen. You know, who doesn't love Steve McQueen? And of course, the, the original Italian Job. Uh huh. Which I've now <sighs> seen. Boy, that's a. Oh. That's a thing. Oh, it, it's fantastic. It, the French Connection. The French Connection. You know, that's getting into the 70s. You know, you've got you know Gene Hackman and that glorious car chase underneath the L. Although in the 70s, you get this. <laughs> one of my favorite ones from the 70s is um, Race with the Devil. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you've got, was it Peter Fonda? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Peter Fonda and his family go camping in an in a giant RV, you know, like a land yacht RV, and they uh, park out by a river and they look out their door at night and all across the river there seems to be a devil cult, <laughs> as there so often is. And they they witness this devil cult doing a sacrifice, and since you know they they witness this, of course the devil cult is now after them, and so. So it winds up being this multi-state car chase of an RV racing away from a devil cult. <laughs> and and I really kind of love it. <laughs> it's the fish that saved Pittsburgh. It, it really is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. It's that, that, it's that ridiculous example that makes you go, I love it even more. Yeah. Yeah. Because you did that. Oh, uh, and there, there are so many vehicles just trashed in that movie. Uh, in the name of devil cults. <laughs> devil cults. Okay, so yeah, I mean, that movie is like at the center of my Venn diagram of car crash movies and horror movies. You know, specifically like devil cult movies. That's that's a nice little mashup there. <laughs> you can you get nineteen seventies cultists. <laughs> An RV on fire, you know? I I love it. I love it. 
Um, also, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, which I, I was gonna, I was about. wondering if you were going to bring I, it up. I've talked about it many, many a time on this podcast, and, you know, it's always worth bringing it up again, because too few people have seen the original Gone in 60 Seconds. No. And I'm not talking about the one that was made in 2000 with, with Nicolas Cage, although that one does have its entertainment value. Especially with Christopher Eccleston with hair. Uh, but going back to the original one, the original Gone in 60 Seconds, half the movie is a car chase. The entire thing, the that nonstop car chase done on actual streets with the same cars that are progressively getting more and more wrecked. As you're and the car the chase ends and the movie ends. There's no denouement. Yeah. There's yeah, like, no wrap up. We gave you a car chase. That's what you wanted. All right, we're done. Go home. It's it's beautiful in its simplicity. <laughs> it, is. it is. And of course, also uh Duel. Oh Steven yeah. Spielberg's debut. You know, a well, TV movie. Enough, is there enough crashing in that? Because there's, there's one truck there's and some, one car. There's one truck and one car, but it is all car chase. Okay, yeah. Okay. It, it is one big long chase, and it's very tense. It's oh. very well done. I mean, for a TV movie, this was pretty intense stuff. No, it's it stands it's really up. good. It really stands the test of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with uh, Dennis Weaver. Yeah. Yep. I remember Dennis Weaver. And uh, semi trucks are scary, so I'm glad they that are. Steven Spielberg he had a gift, especially in the early years, of picking out mundane things that we all know are actually kind of terrifying. Oh, absolutely. Clowns, puppets, therefore clown puppets, mm-hmm. and semi trucks and creepy trees outside your window. Oh yeah, love it. Um, also, ooh, I should have put this in the 60s bucket, but there is a short film that was made in the late 60s. French short, uh, it's about nine minutes long. It's called C'était un rendezvous, sometimes known as just rendezvous. Okay. Um, for car chase nerds, this is kind of a formative thing. It was this kind of experimental film where they strapped a camera to the undercarriage of a Mercedes. And the film is one unbroken shot. Where they took a Mercedes at like 6 a.m. in Paris and went racing through the streets. And that is what the, the you get nine minutes of of a camera that is just inches from the pavement going through the streets of Paris. Dodging cars, dodging pigeons. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I can find an online copy, I'll link it in the show notes. Yes. Yes, you should. I've, I've shown it to people um, at movie nights before. It's like, okay, guys, we're going to take like a 10 minute break and watch this thing. And everybody gets weirdly involved with it. It's like, oh, my God. Are, is he going to hit a pigeon? Oh, oh, okay. Pigeon's okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that? <laughs> it's it's weirdly communal. <laughs> oh yeah so but yeah i i just had to bring that one up very quickly but yeah you know moving into the 80s then we get stuff like you know of course megaforce was like 1980 and cannibal run was what 1982 somewhere in there we already touched on those but you get you know to live and die in la which is fantastic I've never seen it. Oh, you should see it. It is uh, a wonderful... It, it's this great crime film. Uh, it starts off with, like, a counterfeiting ring, and there are many, many people that you recognize, and including, like, Willem Dafoe. And, uh, you know, many people fairly early in their careers. Is Linda Hunt in that? Oh, uh, I don't think Linda Hunt is. But anyway... Anyway, um, sorry. There is one of the best car chases of all time in, in there. It's... It is a car chase that uh, runs through the congested streets of L.A. for many, many minutes and then eventually winds up going the opposite direction on one of the highways. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's beautifully directed. It's one of it, it's a truly great action sequence. So it, the, the movie around it is really great. The car chase is classic. OK. Yeah. It's got Robert Downey Sr. in it. It does. That's what? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Huh. Anyway. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, also, about that time, there was a little movie called The Deadpool. Okay. Talk to me about this because you brought it up okay. before we started recording. Okay. So The Deadpool is one of the Dirty Harry movies. 
and which was like reminiscent okay so the deadpool uh you know it like i think all the dirty harry movies take place in san francisco i've i've never been a huge fan of the dirty harry films but i do really like the deadpool it's it's a fun movie um god i think it's liam who's the big villain in that it's somebody like liam neeson but anyway early in his career but you know it's clint eastwood and uh his plucky asian sidekick and there is a glorious car chase in the center of the film um it's it's a beautiful action sequence where it's a car a regular sized car racing away from a remote controlled toy car that has a bomb strap to it okay that's pretty great <laughs> and there are other cars involved in the chase too but it's the the fact that the car chase also involves a toy car with a bomb on it okay <laughs> going through the streets of san francisco leaping off of the the hills and and you of know of course so you get the the wonderful shot the the stereotypical shot of you know the bullet shots of yeah. uh the the big muscle cars going you know leaping off the deep hills of san francisco and then you get the little toy car <laughs> it is fantastic i really enjoyed your uh your reenactment there melissa <laughs> there were gestures <laughs> car car <laughs> i might just have to show you that sequence i think i've got it on dvd somewhere. <laughs> okay okay um also um this was another movie that I loved when I was a kid, even though I probably shouldn't have seen it when I was a kid. The Hitcher. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Rucker Hauer? Rucker Hauer. Okay. And C. Thomas Howell. Oh, and, C. And, uh... Oh, uh, C. Um, oh, 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 she's... Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Is it? Yeah, I believe so. So anyway, The Hitcher, which is a horror movie uh, in which uh, C. Thomas Howell is driving a borrowed car and he picks up a hitchhiker in the rain and it turns in, turns out to be a Wrecker Howard and Wrecker Howard is crazy oh, and he's so a crazy. serial killer. And so, uh, you know, things happen. C. Thomas Howell gets away, but Wrecker Howard stalks him across the country and it's a whole lot of cars racing through the desert and people trying to get away from each other and a lot of the action sequences are just wonderfully wonderfully directed um the the car stunts are filmed like ballet <laughs> it's it, it it's very slick beautifully filmed i remember there's one particular shot where there are these two police cars that you know go kind of skidding off the highway and they both they both, in tandem, are flying sideways, turning over and over and over in unison. It's like synchronized swimming for car crashes. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's just filmed under this perfect blue desert sky. It's, 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 more, it's lovely. <laughs> this is so odd to me because I enjoy car sequences, but for the most part, I enjoy them. But often there is also sort of like, okay, you could skip to the part where the plot is happening because mm -hmm. this isn't doing it. But you, you're watching that just like, yes, 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 more of this. Yes. Oh, give me, give me, give me the, give me the crashing and the explosions and the bits flying it's off. So often with the car crashes, with the chase sequences, the plot goes on hold while we have an action sequence. Mm -hmm. And that's true of a lot of different tropes and oh, a lot of true. different types of action sequences, but especially kind of car chases. Uh, like, well, did they get away or didn't they? We could really just cut to the chase on this. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, and move along. Except when it's really well done and where you're doing something with the action sequence that is giving you information that wasn't there before. Like, uh... I, I know we keep harping on it, but Fury Road, Fury Road, I never once was like, okay, when are we going to actually have something happen? Well, Fury Road and, and the Road Warrior constantly advancing the plot as well as doing the action sequence. I mean, you're getting character, you're getting interactions between people, you're getting all this stu it, stuff happening. And it's, and it's not just about the destruction or the action, it's the... 
the, the thing that George Miller does really well is he ensures that you always know what's going on. Like, even if there are a dozen cars in the chase, the camera is steady. It makes sure to show you exactly where all the players are moving. You know where everybody is. You have a it's, sense of space. It's so yeah. rarely done well. Yeah. That now when it happens, it's like, I actually understand what's going on. Yay. And, and it's part of the reason why I really love the, you know, car chases from the 70s and 80s, because a lot of those directors did understand how to do that. Like, uh, you know, To Live and Die in L.A. is really well directed in that sense. You know, you always know what's going on. Like, I'll enjoy a car chase sequence, but like, I remember like in the born the second born film there was a whole car chase sequence where i got bored and i'm like oh I, yeah i don't know what's happening and none of this is really necessary this is just filling time until we get to the next plot point mm -hmm. we could skip this on the other hand the french connection uh-huh that whole car chase sequence is doing something or even the first born movie you know the the, the first doug lyman directed born movie that car chase is oh yeah fantastic oh yeah yeah that's a good that one. is good stuff and the thing that i particularly love about that car chase is how it ends they're they park the car in the garage and they're just going <sighs> <sighs> and there's just this long pause where they go what the hell just happened we can never come back to this car we can never come back to this car we must go Yes, away they I love, and they just pull in, park, yeah, and off they go. Well, and because what that's doing is showing you Jason Bourne's character by his skills in that, Precisely. and so it's doing something, and that's what I love. Well, and also having that a car chase have an impact on the characters afterwards. You know, whereas you know most movies you have car chase and then next scene. Yeah, or you cut away or whatever. It's yeah. like, no, we actually saw them yeah. get out of the cars, which you very rarely do in a car chase sequence. Mm -hmm. Normally it's just vroom and the one, you know, rolls off into the sunset. Yeah. Ha ha, I got away. And then you cut to the next scene. In this case, you actually see them connected to, holy shit, we almost died a billion ways to Sunday. Yeah. And we're not dead. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going to have sex soon. I feel like sex is going to happen soon. I need to reaffirm my life. I, and and I got to work out this adrenaline somehow, really. really. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of the key of what made the Bourne identity so great, really, because they carried that philosophy through the entire movie in that... You know, the, the Bourne identity was kind of this reaction to the silliness of James Bond of earlier years. It, you know, bringing that spy action back into the realm of something that feels possible for a human being to do. And I, I remember so clearly seeing the movie for the first time. And, you know, when Jason Bourne is in the embassy and he climbs up and he goes out on that little little ledge <laughs> and that shot downwards. And it's like it's only like four stories up, something like that. But the film sets up its its reality so well that you go, oh, my God, for it you could die you could die you could die and it doesn't have to be 90 miles in the air you don't have to be up a skyscraper in mumbai hello mission impossible it it has gravity you know it, it is yeah. just as tense because yeah. it's more real yeah because you're looking down and you're like this guy is really just clinging to finger holds and if he slips he will at the minimum break a leg mm-hmm mm-hmm and yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, I didn't nearly feel like throwing up like I did watching Mission, <laughs> Mission Impossible, Impossible Ghost Protocol <laughs> with the Burj Khalifa. Oh, thank you for sitting next to me through that one, Melissa. Oh, yeah. I think I still have bruises on my hands from that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Um, I think we kind of got through the 80s. Um, so in the 90s, you had stuff like Speed. Oh, that's a great... Which is delightful. It's, it's just good it, fun. Okay, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again right now, which is you go back to those what you remember as being ridiculous action films of the early 90s mm -hmm. and you find out they're fucking smart. Yeah. And a lot smarter than what we're getting now, which means what you thought was dumb at the time, we apparently had a, a much higher bar in those years. Or, or you know, The Rock... <laughs> 
<laughs> which I think is kind of a classic of its own. I kind of <laughs> love that movie. Oh, d- good God, I love The Rock. And, and du has- hast meine Humvee gestohlen. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I only bring it up because, you know, it's it, it's the same thing. I revisit it and go, yeah, it's kind of brilliant in its own way, it, honestly. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> but oh boy, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous and awesome. And there's Nicolas Cage. And well, it's firmly in the yeah. same category as Face Off of just like, we're going to go there and it's going to be loud and bright and and yay look at what we can do yeah and i I feel like and michael bay of that era you know just you know you've got the rock and you've got like bad boys 2 or was that early 2000s i can't remember whatever but you know (sighs) i just finally watched bad boys 2 because you know you hear about it you saw hot fuzz and you had to well yeah you hear about it so consistently as a classic of the action genre Mm -hmm. How have you never seen Bad Boys 2? So I watched it. Boy, is it loud. It sure is. And it sure does go boom. <laughs> so much. Uh, also, Gabriel Union. Also yes, in that. Yes. I love her. Mm-hmm. Love her. Also in that era, you've got Ronin. Oh, with, yeah. With De Niro. Uh, that's much got more a... Much more pulled back and a legit drama, restrained, but you know, fantastic car chases in that. Uh, but you know, once you get to the 2000s, like right on the nose, 2000, you get Fast and the Furious. (laughs) I've not seen any of them. This is my story about Fast and the Furious. I thought I'd seen Fast and the Furious, and then I uh pushed very hard to get a Fast and the Furious panel at Convergence. Having seen only one Fast and Furious movie and not the rest of them, I did know I wanted to research them and talk about this because we've got seven movies now. They make more and more money each time they come out. And they're... It's a cultural fucking phenomenon. It's a cultural phenomenon. So on the schedule, it's like, great. Now I got to watch all the Fast and Furious movies. I popped in the first... I rented the first one. I popped it in and went, I've never seen this before. (laughs) Apparently, what I thought was Fast and the Furious was Triple X, which is also Vin Diesel. So, <laughs> so I watched it and it's like, yeah, this is this is kind of fun. It's it's fun. Um, now, is it based on an older film? Well, there are other movies called Fast and Furious. They're not based on each other. Okay, no, because Gone in sixty seconds. Like, I, did they come out at a similar time? The yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds was also in 2000, if I remember okay. right. Okay, and I, that's, I've got those linked in my head because of that. Okay. Yeah. So Fast and the Furious, um, you know, fun little street racing film. Also has a little heist angle to it. Um, and it's got Vin Diesel, you know, which which is always good. And, um, you know, I always kind of wondered, what's this? Why is everybody so fascinated with Paul Walker? You know, not, you know, I was thinking this even before he passed on. Um Watching Fast and the Furious, you go, oh, I get it now. Paul Walker is a very charismatic leading man. He just has this kind of genial quality to him. And you just kind of like him. And then, um, so, you know, Fast and Furious, fun movie. And then I watched the second Fast and the Furious movie, which is uh, uh, not great. (laughs) And then you watch the third the, one. The third one, which is like, wow, this is this has absolutely no characters in common with the previous movies. And it's in Tokyo for some reason. Yep. That's the one I saw at the drive-in. The fast, what we dubbed Fasterer and Furiouser. <laughs> Tokyo Drift. Tokyo Drift. And my husband, because... Uh, the dude who's in that has that southern accent. Oh, God. He is the least likable leading man I've seen in a long time. It's like, wow, you have the charisma of a block of wood. And so my husband does quotes from Tokyo Drift in the voice of Forrest Gump. <laughs> because of that, he's, I came to Tokyo to learn how to drift. To drift. Drift. To drift. Oh, God, that drove me up Jedi, Jedi, could <laughs> I need to learn how to drift. But, like, aside from him, it's a halfway decent yeah. action movie. You know, it, it, it kind of works. And, you know, you've got this interesting character in Han. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like, you watch it and you go, oh, who's that guy? 
he's interesting. Oh, well. <laughs> not, not spoiling anything. But, you know, and then you've got like a 10 second walk on by Vin Diesel at the end. Just say, hey, this is actually a Fast and Furious movie. Remember me. But then, then somehow like there's this line in between number three and number four where it's like they took they took an assessment and they said, OK, so. We've got all these toys in the box, right? And some of them kind of suck. Which ones work? Okay, so Paul Walker works and, you know, it'd be nice to have Vin Diesel back. And this this Han guy from uh, Tokyo Drift, he worked. We'll leave the, the southern dude in there. Um, <laughs> and, and like the, this in uh, Ludacris was pretty great. So we'll take him. And, and so they, they kind of took all the characters that did work and... And pulled them forward into the fourth movie. Like, even the one that they shouldn't be able to use anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Because the fourth movie is actually set prior to the third one. Okay. But they hadn't met Han yet. Well, they had because when Vin Diesel does the walk-on in... Tokyo Drift, he goes, yeah, Han and I knew each other way back or something to that effect. It's like, I've, I've ridden with him before. Or something like he okay. knew him from the past. So okay. that was set up, maybe not intentionally, but they went, we could use that. <laughs> and so they bring him, they bring back Han. <laughs> and that's when the series kind of finds its footing because they took all the, it, it's like playing an improv game. It's like, okay, we've got all these things that don't really fit together yet. How do we make them fit? And it starts becoming not just about car chases and car crashes in you know, they, they heighten the heist angle and they take this network of characters and start bringing them together into kind of a soap opera. <laughs> it's, it's like a soap opera for people obsessed with car crashes, which is like, I'm totally game for that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's totally fun. So like four, five, six and seven are just awesome amount of, amounts of fun. And so like. Four turns it up to 10 and five turns it up to 11 and six goes like, bring it to 16 and, you know, we'll bring in a plane. And, you know, seven is like, (laughs) I don't know what the fuck they were doing, but I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And like with each one, they keep adding, um, they keep adding various stars. You know, they add in the rock and they, you know, for Furious Seven, they bring in Kurt Russell and yeah. They just keep adding people and they're fun to watch. And it's it's like what the Expendables should have been. Oh, God, I don't like the Expendables. I, I hate the Expendables. But this is serious daffy fun. And I mean, it's ridiculous. But the other thing that really makes them work, getting back to the car crash angle, they do almost all of the car stunts practically. <gasps> almost oh. everything is practical. Like if you if you get those Fast and Furious movies on uh, DVD or even better Blu-ray, there are hordes of specials where you can see them setting up the shots and how they designed them. And yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it is cool. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I need. I know. I need to watch them. I know. I need to watch them. It is. It is worth it. It is worth it. You know. Something about Furious Seven finally hit the larger like zeitgeist of my friends to where I looked around and everybody was talking about how good it was. And I'm like, I don't, I've never watched any of these and people are like, Oh my God, I love these movies so much. And I'm like, how have I never known that? Mm-hmm. How have you never mentioned that you love these movies? Uh, okay. I guess I need to find time to watch them. Well, and the, and, and the, the extra layer that makes them great. I mean, they have a very broad appeal um, because it's a multi-ethnic cast um, there are lots of women in roles. I mean, they keep finding more and more action-worthy women to throw in there. They keep, they're now bringing in like MMA fighters to throw punches at each other. Like th- yes. there's this woman who is a bodyguard in Furious 7 who's like, oh my God, it's a Valkyrie. She's ginormous. And <laughs> she's not a good actress, but she's only there for a couple scenes. It's like, all right, I'll watch you punch people. All right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And and speaking of, you know, tall buildings in, in Dubai, <laughs> they crash cars through them, like, at great height. Practically? I, <laughs> I think a lot of that was CGI, but, but, oh, 
There's okay. There are flying cars. Do man. I need to watch this with you and clutching oh, you again? No, 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 no. They they don't play with the heights. It's more just. <laughs> <laughs> you are so delighted right now. Oh, I am because I just pretty much with all these Fast and Furious movies, I watched one to seven in like a week and a half. So I'm like I'm I'm all jazzed about everything I just saw. <laughs> all right. What's next? By the way, listeners, I am completely dodging the James Bond franchise because that's its own animal. So, yes, their car chases happen in that, too. Yeah. So, um, except I will bring up Casino Royale because I thought the car stuff in that was particularly good. Um, you know, also, you know, there's stuff like Drive. Drive was very good. Um, there's a recent movie, recent Ron Howard film uh, called Rush, which I oh. feel which I feel people don't know enough about. Well, because it, it, it has Chris Hemsworth. I it, know that. It's got Hemsworth. Uh, Hemsworth. But it is... Um, I'm not usually a fan of Ron Howard movies. They they all, they all seem almost like too pat to They're me. They're very smooth. They're very smooth. You know, no jagged edges whatsoever. Like, like somebody's face after plastic surgery. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Like, but, what? you know, every once in a while he hits on one like Apollo 13. Um, Rush is very good. It's, it's about a real life, um, two real life F1 drivers in the seventies who kind of had this, uh, feud going on between themselves. Uh, very, very famous, you know, competition between these two drivers. And it's, it's a movie about that. So it's about F1 racing and it's about, uh, you know, this, this interpersonal clash and it's about the 1970s and it's really quite good. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Okay. So dear listeners, go, go find that one. That, that was quite good. Also Tarantino, uh, death proof. Oh yeah. Which is one of my favorites of all. Oh, cause it's got Zoe. Well, it's got Zoe Bell, but also it, it, you know, in Tarantino, when he sets out to make a movie, he pretty much goes to all of his influences and just mashes them together like Andy Warhol. You know, it's like he, he just took stuff like Tulane Blacktop and Vanishing Point and Gone in 60 Seconds and like all those really great, you know, low budget smash em ups of the 60s and 70s and made Death Proof. And- I really like Death Proof. I think it is a brilliant film. It, and it's not just for the car chase, which is just a work of art. But the plot is so bizarre because the plot runs itself twice. Because you have one complete arc with one set of characters. It stops dead in the middle. And then Michael Parks comes in and sa- he basically says reboot and, you know, sets the button again. And then you you carry over Kurt Russell and then there's a whole new cast of characters. But you have to do it that way so you understand. I I agree. It's it's a this brilliant is, structure. This is what he does. Mm-hmm. He is a very strange serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it is a love letter to films of the past. And yet it's, it is such a brilliant plot structure. It, it's a really neat showcase of characters like all Tarantino films are. And there is a car chase like no other. <laughs> and Zoe Bell. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, and Zoe Bell doing the When she the pops up out things. of the weeds, yeah. I crack I'm okay. up. I'm okay. <laughs> I just crack up. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> oh. Oh, and and... And Kurt Russell is so amazing. He he really is. Oh, he really is. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm just fanning myself. It's such a great movie. I, I need to watch it like once a year. Just just like, I gotta, I gotta see that again. It's like a... I was holding off on buying those movies because I really, much like uh, Kill Bill, I'm like, why hasn't this been released as like a double box set with like some really great packaging Mm -hmm. and it still has an end death proof and uh, planet terror Mm -hmm. were originally released as grindhouse yeah which was its own internal double feature and then they got broken apart to sell as two movies but why wouldn't you put them back together and 
and sell the and, box set and, and blah, and blah, blah. Put it together with the trailers that came between. Yeah. Because really, I want those. Yeah, I want that. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm finally about ready to give up because the reality is Planet Terror didn't do a whole lot for me. Planet Terror wasn't that good. But Death Proof is great. So maybe maybe I just need to be accept that and just buy Death yeah. Proof because... I really love Death Proof in the same way that I just gave up and finally bought Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as two separate movies, which why isn't it one movie? <laughs> why isn't it one box set? What is that about? Anyway. Yeah, you know, I've I've got one last one on my list. Okay. It's, it's one I feel that people kind of skipped over, but we should watch Drive Angry. Oh, yeah. Everybody should watch Drive Angry. It's not, it's not a work of art, but boy... It's got Nicolas Cage looking skeezy. Oh yeah. It's got it's got muscle cars and it's got Satan. You know? That once again you've got that double cult and, and oh my God, car I... crash overlap. And I love it. Oh my god, I had forgotten about <laughs> I the best thing about the even even above the cars, even above the cars, the the best thing about that movie is the accountant. <laughs> the the <laughs> I can't remember the actor's name. William uh, Fitchner, I think, something like that. But anyway, the guy who plays the accountant just walks in and takes over the movie every time he appears on screen. I remember that. Yeah, this was a Butnamathon film. It was a Butnamathon film. It ended Butnamathon one year. It it was super enjoyable <laughs> because how do you how do you not just go with it? Just yes. Yes, I'm going to watch the shit out of this movie. It was a... Oh. Yeah. Good job, my friend. Good Thank job. You. That's a good closer. That yeah. really is. It's yeah. it's not just... It's a, like what you wanted out of Ghost Rider. Is, yeah. And it's not just a twofer. Yeah. It's a threefer because it's also got Nicolas Cage. It's got... Oh, Satan, yeah. Carr, Nicolas Cage. Cage. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is a that is a definite sweet spot. I recently showed that to a room full of people who were completely unsuspecting of what they were getting into. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, that was fun. <laughs> oh, was Noel there? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. would have loved to have watched Noel watch that. That had to have been glorious. <laughs> yeah, that was a room full of happy people. Oh, God, yeah. That was that was really good. Huh. Okay, then. Yeah. So what are your wrap-up thoughts about your crash em ups Melissa? Well, I think, I think you know, first of all, devil cults do improve crash em ups but, but, you know, crash em ups in and of themselves are a thing to delight in. You know, there, there is something kind of... Uh, peculiarly American about them, I suppose. You know, there's kind of this love affair with the car in this country. And I think there's kind of this vanishing art of racing because now we have these little fuel efficient cars and, you know, that that's kind of where the trend is going because, you know, we're all sensible people apparently now. But a, a minivan race would be hilarious. <laughs> Oh, believe me, when, when I was watching Tokyo Drift and the minivan, the Hulk minivan showed up, it's like, I want that. I totally want that. I would drive a Hulk minivan. <laughs> but, but you know, there's this this fascination with the land yachts of yesteryear, just that kind of sheer power and... When of, cars you know, were made of steel. Of steel. You can, you can seriously wreck things and yourself with them. Um, there, there's just kind of this fascination in looking back on kind of the glorious impracticality of it all. And all the cars back then had personality. Mm. They, they had different lines to them. You could look at a car and go, that's a Plymouth, whatever the fuck it is, because that's what that looked like. Whereas... These days, it's like, well, that's a four-door sedan. Yeah, there's a there's a generic uniformity. Yeah, yeah. It's like how do you how could you tell that's a thing? All, and, the, all the butts look alike. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm a, I'm I'm big into ecology. I'm I'm all about saving the earth, and I'm all about you know aerodynamics of cars, and you know using less and responsible transportation and all that. But <sighs> boy, I love seeing them get wrecked. <laughs> 
Well, cars don't wreck the same way now. I will oh, tell no. you that having run into a raccoon. Crumple zones. Um, <laughs> or they just bounce back. Yeah. Weirdly. Hunk. Like they absorb the impact. And they're going away. Bonk. Well, that's what they're supposed to do, because if they don't absorb the impact, you do. I mean, that's... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why car crashes were so deadly back in, like, the 60s and before, because nothing would take the impact for you. Well, because they built the car to survive, but you wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. And now we build cars to... To to, collapse. To collapse, to destroy themselves, to save you. Mm -hmm. Which is a much better i'm i i am on board with that i'm totally on board with that but there's a certain you know irrational machismo to you know putting spikes on cars and making them shoot flames and crashing them into things yes (laughs) yes i would drive that Uh. i uh i am struck Having done these two episodes, boom, boom, together in one night, whether or not you get to listen to them that way, dear listeners, uh, these are uniquely not girly genres that the yeah. two of us are, yeah, are so true. happy about. It's true. It's and true. I I'm also like... into war movies, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> war movies. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I have to do one about war movies, too. But anyway, war movies are satisfying, too. Yeah. There's a certain underdogness to war movies, too, because often they set up that trope of the ragtag band that has mm-hmm. to accomplish the mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be but down. a lot of times they end in tears as well. Yeah. So. Well, it's the next yeah. step up. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But that's a whole other thing. That's a whole nother episode. Maybe we should write that one down. Future <sighs> Melissa editing this podcast. Please write that down. Future Melissa's great. Yeah, I like I really Future like Melissa. her. <laughs> She's huh? very talented and useful. And more sober. All right. So that has been our episode then on mm-hmm. Melissa's car crash em up chase run 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 go fast movies. Mm, vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Ah. All right. So we still don't have any listener questions. Ah. Oh listeners, please. Please let us know you're out there. I know you're listening. But so that means it's time for our own personal pleasure dome recommendations. Yes. Have you do you have one, Melissa? I'll have to think. I have one. I uh, spent last night in Madison with the amazing Judith and fantastic John Kavalik. Yes. And of course, when you're at John Kavalik's house, you will play a game. Oh, yes, that that happens. It always happens. Mm -hmm. And John has a new game Mm -hmm. uh, because previously they had Cineplexity and they've reworked the gaming structure to something that John is a lot more pleased with. And we played it. And I have to say, I really like the game mechanics. And it is called Double Feature. Yeah. And I recommend it. That is my Pleasure Dome recommendation. As, As a prior fan of Cineplexity, I look forward to the retooling. Yeah, it's much smoother mechanics i feel like it's going to be a lot more universal and it was immediately a game that i could see how people wander by and watch Mm -hmm. and those are the best parting games yeah is when you can just wander by and enjoy watching somebody else play and take part vicariously in it of oh oh you oh yeah this would be a good one oh that's a good one Mm -hmm. right so i do recommend it very much that is my recommendation yeah dear listeners when i uh as a fan of cineplexity the thing i loved about that game was that even people who weren't big movie nerds could play it even though it's a it's a game all about movies a lot of times the people who weren't big movie nerds did better at it (laughs) because they didn't have as much clutter in their brains. (laughs) The structure of this one is you have six different cards Mm -hmm. and two cards are in play at any given time. Yeah. And so they've taken actors out completely because they found that that one was one that really... Really stumped people. It limited and stumped people. Well, also it's generational. I think people know... The actors you know is very dependent on your age. Yeah. So it's scene prop um you know various things and so one card is up you flip the next card Mm -hmm. and then the first person who can come with a movie that matches both criteria they get the card that's been out there longer Mm -hmm. and then it moves through it's very fluid Mm -hmm. um it there was a lot of conversation that happened naturally as part of it um and you find out a lot about like what is this movie or oh you watch those kind of movies well i have i watch these kinds of movies and like uh there was 
something about a dream sequence in a comedy. And I said, singing in the rain. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a musical, not a comedy. I'm like, excuse me, that's one of the funniest movies ever made. Okay, so it's a musical (laughs) comedy. Hilarious. I'm like, it is a musical that is a comedy. It is a comedy that is a musical. It is both. It is both. It is both. You do not, you do not dismiss the comedy of singing in the rain, and I can't stand him. So, all right. So, dear listeners. Oh dear, dear listeners. Oh dear. The way she said that makes me trepidatious. My, My recommendation is a Canadian TV series that went on the air in 1973 and lasted for something like eight episodes. (laughs) I discovered this while searching around on Roku at like three in the morning with Fess and we started watching it. It It is a series called The Star Lost. And it is... It was written by Harlan Ellison, but he took his name off of it, so it's written under the pseudonym Cardwiener Bird or something like that. And it is about a spaceship that's like a arc, you know, like apocalypse handed, happened on Earth, and so they took all the humans and they put them on this spaceship to sail the stars until they found a new place. Well, something's gone wrong with the spaceship, and in the little pods that house all these isolated communities of humans, um, it's been like 400 years and they don't know they're on a spaceship. So it's a super awesome concept, right? Okay. So there's the, you start off in this like little, little enclave called Cypress Corners and like there our main character is being, you know, ousted from the community. It, it's like this, this hyper-religious uh, kind of Amish-like community and he's being ejected from the community and, it, you know, things happen in the first episode and he winds up finding a door and he steps out and he's in the spaceship and he's never seen anything like this. He's like in a Quaker outfit. Like their world was like this little farmland and that that's what they understood. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool. And so he goes out and he goes, there's a, what? And he, and he finds like a computer and he like fumbles around with it. And you know, there's like the computer talks to him and tells him enough to kind of understand what's going on. And so he goes back and he grabs a couple of like his girlfriend and the guy who was going to marry his girlfriend. So he's kind of like edgy and not, not happy because those two are in love, but he wants the girl. But anyway, you know, there's drama. And so each each episode after they leave their little pod is like exploring more of the spaceship and things happen and like discovering other Okay, that pods. sounds really fun. Yeah, but it's super low budget. I mean like <laughs> ridiculously low budget. And and what I really want to do is like a lot of the um episodes are really padded out. <laughs> so there's a ridiculous number of reaction shots where our three heroes are just staring off screen at something for a really comfortably amount of t- <laughs> long amount of time <laughs> it's ridiculous so so i kind of love it and it's and it's got that you know 70s ver- like early 70s pre star wars science oh. fiction veneer and like I said, it was done in Canada on a low budget. It was it was great. It's great. Oh, that's fantastic. I've been really enjoying it. The Star Lost. The Star Lost. Does it, <laughs> but if there's only eight episodes, I'm assuming it just ends abruptly. Uh, Actually, it's 16 episodes. Okay. Okay. So a little Are they half than... hour or hour? I think they're an hour. Okay. Um, they're, yeah. They're have pretty, you, have you finished long. it? And the and the not quite yet, but the lead is Kira Dolia from two thousand one. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And uh, in the first episode, Sterling Hayden shows up. Uh, okay. I know, right? Okay. And by the end, they get one Star Trek actor. <laughs> like each episode has a special guest star. Kind of love boat like. <laughs> so they, I assume they encounter other pods. They encounter other pods, and you know they they encounter other problems around the ship, and 
you know, there's, you know, the, the, the ship is, of course, on like a collision course with a star. So they, they have to fix the ship before something horrible happens to them. And Oh, that sounds yeah. delightful. Yeah, it's pre- it's pretty neat. It's it's a lot cheesy and a lot really clever. So it's, I'm pleased. It's exactly what it sounds like, mm-hmm. apparently. And that makes it awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so that is it. Melissa, take us home. Thank you for joining us, dear listeners, for Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I have been Melissa, and this has been... Wendy. And we will see you next week. Yes. Drive safe. Drive safe. Fuck that. Drive angry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at XanaduCinema.com, follow us on Twitter at XanaduCinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I'm amazed I didn't get a ticket driving home from Fury Road. (laughs) 